Welcome to Research Rundown with UIC EMBS, a research podcast by students for students. Each episode will be meeting with a UIC faculty member to discuss the exciting work they're doing and how you can get involved. Today's guest and the final guest of Season 1 of Research Rundown with UIC EMBS is Dr. John Hetling from the Neural Engineering Vision Lab. Hello, Dr. Hetling. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, this is a little bit bittersweet, actually, because this episode wraps up our very first season of Research Rundown Podcast. So it's very exciting. It's been, um, I think, an awesome opportunity for students. And I know definitely for myself, just to learn about all these different areas of research that I haven't gotten a chance to get involved with or wasn't too familiar with. So um, thank you so much again. I'm excited to have this chat with you today and share uh, a little bit more about your work and what you guys are doing. Yeah, thanks for the invite. I'm glad you could squeeze me in at the end of the semester. Oh, of course. Yeah, I'm glad you had the time. I know it's a crazy time for everyone. So I'm very happy we were able to make this work. Um, so just as kind of like an introduction, a standard like, hello for everyone. Um, I was hoping to first start and get a little bit more information for everyone, um, just about you and your professional and academic background to kind of lead us into more of like the work that you're doing now and what you have done. Okay, sure. Um, I, I started at the very beginning. You know, I grew up in a family of tradespeople. So my, my dad was a plumber and my uncles were, uh, you know, carpenters and appliance repairmen. And, and I think that experience taught me as much about engineering as anything I've done since. Um, so <laughs> that was important. Um, in terms of uh, formal academics, I went to Bates College in Maine. It was a small liberal arts college. I majored in biology. Um, Graduated from there, I think, in 89, 1989, then worked for two years uh, in an electrophysiology lab at Bowdoin College. Um, I really enjoyed that. I spent, uh, you know, half my time doing uh, traditional research, you know, collecting data and analyzing it. And the other half of the time, uh, building and repairing and modifying the equipment. And I really liked the, the hands-on uh, mechanical and electrical side of things there. Um, I started applying to uh, biophysics programs and then realized along the way that bioengineering is probably uh, closer to my heart. Um, I, I had never heard of bioengineering until, you know, after I had started applying to those biophysics programs. Um, so I switched gears. I applied to a number of bio programs, uh, mostly in the Midwest. I had lived my whole life on the East Coast, wanted to come to the Midwest for a while. Um, and landed at UIC. Uh, so I joined the bioengineering program at UIC in 1992 as a PhD student, um, graduated in 97 uh, with a PhD in bioengineering and neuroscience. There was a kind of an add-on program you could do. Um, and then, uh, yeah, started applying for postdocs. And at that time, a faculty position opened up at UIC. I applied for it. I uh, got it. And so I've been there ever since. Um, I've been there almost 25 years now as faculty. Awesome. Um, I, I can relate a little bit. I I started in physics and the interest was also biophysics um, with like neural applications and kind of on that end. So that's, um, I can relate to kind of that transition to the hands-on a little bit more, um, more applied research end of it. That's, uh, that's amazing. Um, and yeah, like you said, I guess the rest is history and now we get to talk to you here at UIC. Um, so transitioning, I guess, into your research, I know you did, uh, from what you just said, kind of a mix of uh, some of that like traditional research, really working with data acquisition, kind of on that end, more of like the biology side of it. 
and then the engineering, the hands-on kind of end of it. Um, so today I know you run the uh, Neural Engineering Vision Lab. Um, do you, does that lab have more of like a focus in one of the areas or would you say that it is um, like more traditional kind of research or is it project-based? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, good, good question. Um, you know, my, my PhD training was in the Department of Ophthalmology at UIC. That's where I did my research uh, with David Pepperberg, who unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. But he was a consummate scientist. He knew science. And, and uh, so he, he taught us uh, how to do amazing science. And so when I left his lab, I was an engineer with a really deep training in basic science, uh, you know, traditional research. Um, forming a hypothesis and testing that hypothesis with a well-designed experiment, analyzing the data and coming to some conclusion. So, so I really knew that side of things uh, when I received my own lab. Um, but I, because I was at the same institution as my PhD advisor, I had to distinguish myself in some way and show that I was developing my own research career. So that was a lot of pressure back then. And uh, I decided to focus more on the engineering, but still from a uh, a basic science perspective. So we did a lot of basic vision science, um, a lot of computational modeling to answer experimental questions. I was really focused on retinal prosthetics back then. Um, and so I, I'd say the first 10 years of my lab, uh, the, the NEVL, um, Neural Engineering Vision Lab, was focused mostly on basic science all around vision, uh, vision and ophthalmology. Um, but then we kind of drifted into more of what, what you just described as a project-based focus where we're more interested in technology development, uh, developing medical products, um, uh, primarily to diagnose and treat eye disease. So that's, uh, that's kind of where we are now. Yeah, well, I'm sure the early work and kind of more of that basic understanding research definitely helped in the approach to create things to treat and diagnose those diseases. So that seems like a very natural kind of flow um, of the of the progression of the work. Um, very exciting. I know, um, and I, I've seen it in multiple places throughout UIC, so I'm sure people are very familiar with it, but uh, the contact lens electrode array, is that something that is like currently still something you're working on or is that more of like an early project that was taken on? Um, I think that's, that's a very popular one. I know I, when I first um, started hanging out, I think it was, I mean, in the bioengineering in the, on the floor, in the building, in the lounge, that was one of the posters that was up. And I always was so fascinated by that. Um, it was very, very impressive being able to, um, I think, well, one for me is just to manufacture, I think, the contact and being able to put um, kind of the, the sensing elements there and make use of it, but also just the application. Really great. So this might be more for my own interest, but um, is that something that is like a current project or something that was um, like a earlier one that you've since then kind of moved on from? It, it started uh, quite a while ago. I don't remember the exact year, but it is something we're still working on. And, and this is a great, I think, uh, probably a great story for um, any student who may hear this, uh, especially an undergrad, the initial discovery that led to that project uh, came from an undergrad researcher in my lab. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, she, uh, Safa Romani, she started as a, as a first semester freshman and, and came to me and said, hey, you know, I don't really know anything, but I'm, I'm eager and I'm hardworking and, and can I join your lab? And I said, sure. And uh, she worked in my lab for all four years as an undergrad. Um, 
by the end of that, she was working at the level of any graduate student. Uh, she decided to stay for a master's. Um, I think it might have been while she was a master's that she made this initial discovery, but she was working on electrical stimulation as a therapy to treat eye disease. Um, and that was a project uh, sponsored by a company, um, a, a private company. Um, but along the way, uh, she, she was recording electroretinograms. That was kind of the bread and butter experiment that we did for years, which is the electrical response of the retina in the back of the eye to a light stimulus. Mm -hmm. and, and the work uh, was focused with rats because there are great rat models of human eye disease. So uh, she came to me one day and said, you know, the signal I record depends on where I put the electrode on the eye. And I said, no, that can't be. You know, the eye is covered with tears. It's a layer of salt water. It's highly conductive. The whole front of the eye is electrically shunted. And, and so she didn't argue with me. She went back to the lab and did some experiments on her own and, 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 and came back with the proof, you know, a week or two later and said, see? <laughs> and I said, oh, you're right. And then we, we brainstormed a little bit and realized, well, because those potentials vary, there must be clinical information there. You know, we can add a spatial dimension to ERG recording, which had not existed. Um, so that was the genesis of that project. And, uh, and we're still working on it. There are two issued patents that cover that uh, technology. Saf is an inventor on both. Um, and um, uh, about uh, 10 years ago, uh, we started a startup company, Masafa and myself and another graduate student. Mm -hmm. um, and now Safa is the chief medical officer for that company. Uh, and, and we, the company controls the patents, the intellectual property for that. And, and yeah, we're still working on that. So Safa, um, after she left UIC with a master's, she went to Northwestern for medical school, um, stayed at Northwestern for a residency in ophthalmology, and then went to Harvard for a vitreo retinal fellowship. And now she's back at Northwestern as a pediatric uh, ophthalmic surgeon. Um, and so uh, she, in fact, she was on the news uh, not too long ago for, for saving sight of a, of a special needs kid so she's got a, a great career going for herself and uh and yeah i love working with her i've worked with her oh boy uh at least 15 years now maybe longer um so i actually heard about that story um i did see that um i don't know if that's not an inspirational story for any undergraduate or just student listening then i don't know that's really amazing yeah it's never too early to get involved in undergrad research you never know where it's going to go so. mm -hmm. No, I agree. And there's definitely, I mean, I've been involved in a handful of different labs and um, I mean, every single one, regardless of like whatever experience I got, I always wish that I could have started earlier, had more time to work on these projects or explore all these different things. There's so much you can do. And even like you said, I mean, if it's an ongoing project for, for years now, um, you know, there's always work to be done and um, it continues. So I agree. I think that is, um, that's great advice. And right off the bat, I think that's like a good, <laughs> good, good place for us to start. Um, and so you, you did say this is a continuing project. Are there other projects in the lab that are um, ongoing right now? And uh, sorry, this is kind of a little bit of a segue, but just to tack on, um, when students join the lab or just in general, the research going on, do they work on um, their own kind of projects? Like, is everyone kind of working on something else? And, or is it more of a collaborative kind of main project and everyone is taking on like a part of this one um, application? Yeah, yeah, good question. My, my lab group lately has not been, uh, it's been somewhere between two and four graduate students and we have main projects. Um, the one that we just talked about, this contact lens electrode array, 
Uh, there's another one that's a stimulus source for electroretinography. And then there's one that's a therapeutic device, uh, again, for the eye. Uh, it's basically like a thermoelectric contact lens to treat strokes of the eye um, by, by cooling, the, cooling the eye. Um, so generally, there's one graduate student that's leading each of those projects. Um, uh, and then possibly some undergraduate researchers that support the graduate student on each. Um, so yeah, to answer the first question, three main projects, uh, both, you know, two, two related to diagnosing eye disease using electroretinography, and the third um, using therapeutic hypothermia to treat uh, an eye condition, mm -hmm. um, retinal ischemia uh, in particular. So and, and generally three, three to four, maybe five graduate students uh, per year, um, and usually one senior design group and a couple of undergrad researchers. Um, things slowed down a little bit over the last year because of the pandemic, it was harder to have people in the lab uh, and, and we couldn't record from human patients, which is something that we do a lot of lately. Um, so that really slowed things down, but I'm um, looking forward to next year with uh, the world opening up again. Yeah, I think you and I think everyone, it's um, it's unfortunate to, you know, kind of put a hold on a lot of these things. And yeah, it sounds like a lot of the work that you do then is um, requires that in-person kind of in interaction and testing, which I think that that's a very unique um, uh, component. I, di I didn't know that you regularly were able to test on uh, on patients and kind of get that um, aspect of it is um, with the um, students working on the projects, um, specifically, I think undergraduates, since they are, like you said, kind of assisting in those graduate-led projects, um, what would you say is their involvement maybe in um, in the work that's being done? Is it um, kind of, to what extent is that like support mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I try to tailor the undergrad experience to what that person needs and wants. Uh, so, so I really start with what do you want to do when you graduate? And we, and we start to gear you up for that. Um, in terms of the types of lab work that go on, people usually fall into one of three buckets. Either they're doing um, design and fabrication. So they're actually building physical or electric or optical things that you know didn't exist before, or they're doing data collection and analysis. So they're working with living systems. And, and I, I don't do much with rodents anymore. It's mostly uh, people now. So um, uh, working with human patients or, or uh, normally sighted subjects. Um, and then uh, the third bucket would be computational modeling. So using uh, ANSYS or COMSOL or MATLAB and, and uh, doing kind of advanced data analysis or finite element modeling. So we'll find out what, you know, which of those three are, resonates with the person who wants to join the lab and, and we'll kind of focus on that. You have the opportunity to work in all of those areas and contribute in all aspects, aspects of the project. Um, but then the other uh, decision to make is, you know, do you want to be trained, going back to what we talked about earlier, do you want to be trained as a scientist or as a product development engineer, or do you really want to see the, the commercialization side of things? Because the lab really emphasizes that lately. Um, but of course, our roots are still in the basic science. Uh, so, you know, if somebody's going to go on to the PhD program, they probably want to focus more on uh, basic science techniques. But if somebody wants to jump straight into industry, they're going to be concerned more with, you know, what, what do I need to know for product development? And so we kind of tailor it. Uh, I do the best I can to tailor it to whatever that person uh, is going to be doing next. Okay. I mean, that's that's an amazing opportunity to kind of get both ends of it. 
Um, with, with that being said, do you generally attract very interdisciplinary students or uh, are the students more localized within like bioengineering specifically? Because I know there, this, this does broaden kind of that uh, uh, research aspect of the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never, I don't think I've ever had an undergrad from another department. I mean, maybe once I had somebody from biology, but uh, yeah, all, all bioengineers who are, you know, multidisciplinary by nature. Um, the, the people with the most, uh, I guess, kind of hands-on skills tend to do the best. Um, so I love it when somebody comes and says, yeah, you know, my, my, my dad's an electrician or my mom's an engineer, you know, some, somebody who grew up in that, uh, environment that those people uh, tend to do pretty well. Cause we're, we're a very hands-on lab, you know, very, uh, uh, we, we build things from the ground up. Um, uh, so yeah, I get I get you know students at all levels, uh, everybody from freshmen to almost graduating seniors. I, I prefer when people come in early so they can spend more time and and get to know. It takes a whole semester just to figure out what you're doing, and the second semester you can start to be productive. And the third and fourth semesters is where you really start to contribute back to the lab. You know, maybe get your name on a patent or a paper, travel to a meeting and present. Um, uh, you know, meet more. Uh, maybe commercialization partners, you know, broaden your network. Uh, so the more time, the better on a given project for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that learning curve, I think, is, I, I think, comes with any um, any research involvement, really. There is that kind of period where you have to get acclimated and used to everything. Um, I think as, especially with working with these systems and different equipments that you do. Um, but so with that learning curve, um, is there, I know you said the hands-on experience or just the ability to kind of have that, um, um, well, yeah, ability to do things kind of manually and have that desire to, I guess, tinker. Um, Is there any kind of skills um, specifically that you look for that are beneficial, a little bit maybe more concrete, don't have to be technical, but just things that do help students usually um, find that learning curve to be a little a little less steep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the um, you know coursework like uh, the circuit analysis course and and uh, uh, MATLAB you know courses that beef up your MATLAB skills are always good. Um, LabVIEW data acquisition is helpful. Um, experience with Arduino is good. You know any sort of programming is good. Um, anything that you've done with circuit design, uh, the instrumentation courses, BIOE 430 and 431, those are very helpful. Unfortunately, too many students take those in their last semester or, or at least their last year. Um, we're, we're changing the curriculum next year because of that. We're moving the instrumentation sequence down to the junior year at the 300 level. Um, so I think that'll help a little bit. But uh, yeah, anything, uh, optics classes, obviously, um, and we have a couple of those in the curriculum. So so yeah, any any kind of programming circuits, you know, mechanical design, SolidWorks um, is great. Uh, um, uh, Ansys or Comsol, if you're you know tending towards the modeling, um, those are those are the basics. Sounds good. Um, and I think so. Is it safe to say too that with working on these projects and in this lab, those are also also the skills that students can expect to develop too. Um, along the line and kind of build up? Is there anything else that you think is um, like a really a big takeaway for students that do conduct this research? Like what um, experiences other than those mentioned, if there are other ones, um, students can really expect to to take away and benefit from? 
Um, so, you know, the, the, the way that we run the lab, it's fairly, uh, I'll say, relative to some other labs, it's uh, maybe loose is the right word or relaxed. Um, so students do work independently. And so they, they really develop the ability to, um, on their own, you know, gauge a problem, uh, you know, brainstorm on some ways to solve the problem. I, I really encourage free exploration, trial and error. Uh, you know, uh, the only way you're going to know if it doesn't work is if you try it. And so we do a lot of that, <laughs> a lot of trial and error. Um, and that's great. I love to see that. I love to see a student, instead of coming to me and saying, hey, I ran into this problem, what should I do? What I want is a student that comes to me and says, hey, I ran into this problem. I tried this. It didn't work. I tried that. It didn't work. You know, do you have any suggestions? I, you know, I want some trial and error first. Uh, so um, independent problem solving is something that you get definitely get better at uh, in my lab um, because it's strongly encouraged. I think it's the best way to learn. You, you have to, you have to uh, try out your own ideas and, and see them fail uh, before you get better. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's a very safe, I, I think, lab to work in from that perspective in terms of, you know, you have to, don't fear about uh, failure. I think it's encouraged <laughs> to a certain extent because eventually you end up with the best answer mm -hmm. if you go cycle a couple of times so um, all of those hard skills that we mentioned yeah you get better you know at those in in the lab environment there's usually graduate students who are experts you know in MATLAB or SOLIDWORKS and they can help uh, deepen your skills um, as the undergrad researcher and after a year or so in the lab the undergrads are you know basically working independently on their own aspects of the project I try to get them to that level as soon as possible mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to just shadowing the graduate students um, so, yeah, I think if you stick around long enough, you definitely gain uh, some skills that come with being an independent researcher. Yeah, I think that's one of the most valuable skills. Um, it's a, the failure part's a little terrifying, but at least for, for myself this past semester and the projects I've been working on, the uh, fail fast and often motto has been very prevalent. Um, so I can attest to the fact that it uh, it does really uh, let you progress a lot faster. And um, that's definitely something that I appreciated in, in, um, in well, research and just kind of a skill that I've, I, I think I've, I've tried to hone. So I think for any students listening, that is, um, that's a very beneficial skill and really a great, I think, environment for students, especially undergraduate students, because, you know, it's like you said, um, relatively, uh, depending on the lab structure, that is a little bit maybe more of a, uh, a unique opportunity, depending on the work that's being done. So I think that's definitely appreciated. You have to balance it with the fact that a lab in some ways is a business, right? You, you get grant money in and you have to produce results. Mm -hmm. And so you can't, you can't get into an endless cycle of trial and error. And so there is some guidance, you know, I'm not going to let you sit in that loop longer than necessary of course on the other hand, you know, we've had some epic fails in, in that lab <laughs> and they're always educational and so you try to take the best from it and you move on and uh, yeah you just learn to pick yourself up after those failures and, and try again and, and sometimes it means you know taking three steps back in the process and and you know rebuilding something or redesigning something and uh, but those are those are the deepest lessons and those are what are going to make you a stronger engineer going forward at the, at the beginning I said that um, you know, growing up in a family of tradespeople taught me more about being an engineer than anything else. And, and specifically, uh, you know, my dad, I, I followed my dad around a lot on all these projects and jobs that he would do and home projects. And, uh, and he would, you know, encourage me to, to do 
uh, whatever needed to do, needed doing on my own. And every time I asked him for help without fail, his, his, his consistent response was, oh, you can do it as good as I can. And so he never stepped in and did something, even when yeah. he saw me, you know, he, he let me figure it out. And so that that has stuck with me my whole life. And uh, and I try to recreate that a little bit in the lab environment, again, balanced with the fact that it, it is a lab and you have to move forward. Um, but uh, but I try to err in that direction of allowing people to, to explore a little bit, to, um, to try and fail. Um, and yeah, uh, usually we can we, we can tolerate a good good amount of that and still move forward. Mm-hmm. So on the note of kind of the um, the appreciation for independent thought and something you know that you like to foster and encourage, is there anything that you recommend students prepare when reaching out to you to get involved? Um, should they have maybe? Um, maybe not necessarily project proposals, but is there anything that you like to see when students do approach you um, or are considering approaching you to get involved in the lab or a specific project? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And this doesn't go just for me. I think this goes for anybody who runs a lab. You know, what, what we want to see when somebody approaches us is that they've done just a little bit of, of homework. You know, they've looked at the lab website, they've, you know, maybe read a paper that came out of the lab recently or, um, or looked at a slide deck that maybe uploaded, but just to familiarize yourself with what really goes on in the lab and give it some thought. Yeah, you don't, I don't expect anybody to come to me with a, a canned project proposal and say, this is what I want to work on, but I, I wouldn't hold that against somebody. It tells me that somebody, you know, thought about it and, and thought about what question needed to be answered and how that aligned with their interests and, and, and career goals. So that's great. So uh, the the generic email that says, "Hey, uh, you know, I'm looking for an undergrad research position. Do you have any openings?" Those get equally short and vague responses of, of "No, sorry, uh, the lab is full." Um, but somebody who reaches out and says, "Hey, you know, I just read this paper. Um, I, I was thinking about this project. It kind of, you know, it's related to something I want to do in the future. Would you have a few minutes to talk about it?" And pretty much all professors, anybody who runs a lab loves to talk about them, their own work. So, so that email usually gets a positive response. You have that conversation and then say, you know, I, I'd love to get involved. Um, do you have any openings in your lab or could I, could I you know, get involved with this project in some way? That, that I think is the best approach. And I, and I say that, you know, for every BIWE 101 advising session that I ever do, I, I, I give that same formula for getting into an undergrad research lab. Unfortunately, there's, it, well, it, I mean, uh, encouragingly, more students are looking for positions and I think we have available for undergrad researchers. I think that's great. Um, but I think that's probably the best approach uh, because all faculty are busy and, and, uh, oh, and the other thing is to, um, make it known that you're looking for a multi-semester experience because somebody who just wants to come in for one semester and check that box on the resume and says, yes, I did undergrad research. As we said before, you know, you, you know, it takes a whole semester just to learn something, just to know what, what goes on in that lab. And so that's an investment on my part. And then I want you to be around long enough to start returning on that investment and being productive and, and, and working independently and contributing back to the goals of the lab. Um, so yeah, a little, do, do a little bit of homework and, and, and let the PI know that you're committed. And even better, if, you, if it's near the end of your undergrad career, say, you know, if this works out, I'd love to stick around for a master's or maybe a PhD. 
because um, once you have a good person in the lab, it's essentially an internship. Mm-hmm. Uh, once, once you're uh, you have somebody in the lab, you don't want to lose that person to graduation. You want them to stick around. Yeah, and then that's good advice for students that are um, starting to get involved maybe a little bit later, too. Um, I know we talked about the earlier, the better. And that's definitely something that you know, I wish I took advantage of earlier on. I'm sure a lot of students feel that way as well. So that's, I think, a very, very good point for the students that are looking to um, get involved. You know, it's never too early, but I also think it's never too late. Um, so I think that's that's a really good point to keep in mind. Um, and I think you have also a very um, very unique perspective too, because you are the director of undergraduate studies. Um, kind of from that end, is there anything that you'd want students to know um, additionally about research or getting involved with research? Um, kind of on that aspect, I know you've um, had a different kind of relationship with students in addition to being just a professor or a PI. Yeah, really. I mean, it, uh, certainly, if you're gonna do any sort of a graduate degree, your master's or PhD, um, undergrad research will strengthen your application. It's uh, uh, internships are extremely valuable for anybody going into industry. If you can't get an internship, undergrad research, even if you're going into industry is is a great idea. Um, Just make sure you choose a lab wisely, choose one that has a focus on product development um, uh, because you'll learn, you know, skills that are equally valuable. Um, So I think that's the, you know, I give that advice advice a lot as, as uh, the director of undergraduate studies. Um, yeah, just uh, try to you know try to make room for undergraduate research. It's really an important experience. Um, you can it's a variable credit hour experience. It can be anywhere from one to five hours per semester. You can apply up to three hours towards your degree. Um, but even if uh, you know uh, you start off at just one hour a semester, just to get your uh, your foot in the door and then, you know, go up or down from there as your schedule permits. But as long as it's a consistent semester to semester experience, you'll really get something valuable out of it. Um, you know, a, a paper, a presentation at a meeting. Um, and it's, it's, uh, you may not be the, the lead author, um, or, or the lead presenter, but you'll, you'll be a, a name and author. And that's, uh, that has a lot of value. Um, if you choose the right lab, you could be on a patent, um, or, or, or at the very least an invention disclosure. So, um, but that's not going to come with the one semester commitment. So yeah, yeah. Get in early, stick around as long as you can, um, and, and consider it to be of equal value as an internship. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, I think on that piece of advice that brings us to a good, good stopping point. Um, so I want to thank you again so much for first of all, taking the time to chat with me today and share these insights with everyone. Um, also for, uh, well, sharing those insights and um, providing students with, um, I think, really beneficial information, not just about your lab, but really about um, what to consider in research and about being involved and kind of the whole the whole realm of it. So thank you again. Um, I know I really appreciate it. I'm sure a lot of other people do too. Um, and it's been really great talking to you today. Yeah, thanks for following me. I think this is a great thing you're doing. Thank you so much, Dr. Hetling. And with that, we wrap up our first, but certainly not last season of Research Rundown with UIC EMBS. Thank you all so much for listening and for sharing your suggestions and comments with us. Learning about these different areas of research has been an incredible opportunity for me, and I hope that it has been for you as well. We'll be kicking off season two in August. To make sure you don't miss it, visit our website, embs.students.uic.edu, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and find more information about the podcast. 
This is Research Rundown with UIC EMVS. Thanks so much for listening.